0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. So glad that you're listening to the broadcast on this Wednesday. We are halfway through the week. Praise the Lord. And uh, Wednesday night is a great night to go to church. If your church does not offer services or programming on Wednesday night, why don't you come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church? This is what we've got going on on Wednesday night at 630... For children ages 3 all the way up through 5th grade, we have the AWANA program. Now, maybe you're asking, well, what in the world is AWANA? A-W-A-N-A stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. The AWANA ministry is a Bible memorization program for children. And there are three components each night that the children are engaged in. First of all, they have an exciting game time where they are put on a team and they compete against each other on a circle. And they're given a color, and they compete with that color team, and they keep points. And then uh, the team that has the most points, they always have a little prize for them at the end. The second part of the night of Awana is what is called handbook time. Handbook time is that time where you get a book with Bible verses in it, not only the verses in there that you are memorizing, but also an explanation of what those verses are. So not only are our kids memorizing God's Word, they're understanding what it means. You know, we're told to rightly divide the word of truth. I don't want to just memorize God's word. I want to know what it means. And I also want to know how to apply it to my life. So there's game time, handbook time, and then they have a devotional time. This is a time where they're given a challenge from God's word. It is a fascinating ministry. And so this operates all during the school year. And if you'd like to join us for a one, I'd love to have you come Wednesday night at 630. Maybe you have teenagers. Man, we love teenagers at Hickory Ridge. We have a youth ministry. Pastor Jimmy does an amazing job on Wednesday night with our kids, and they meet the same time. And uh, so come on and be part of that. That is for students 6th grade through 12th grade. And then if you're an adult, I want to encourage you to come and be part of Gospel Project. Gospel Project is where we study God's Word from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. We have a skilled teacher that teaches us every Wednesday night. And that takes place at the same time as our youth ministry, same time as Awana. So come on out tonight, 630. we love to see you. Well, today during the broadcast, I want to talk to you about how to have joy over opposition. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. You know, there's a lot of exciting things happening in Acts chapter 17. A lot of excitement, but also a lot of conflict caused by the proclamation of the gospel. Now, how in the world could good news also be bad news, right? The gospel is the good news. I think it all revolves around this one question. Who is in control of your life? You see, when the gospel is revealed or shared, your sins are forgiven when you receive the gospel. Jesus is acknowledged as Lord. For the person who receives God's forgiveness, a burden is lifted. Jesus becomes Lord. Now, for the person who does not accept this forgiveness, our burden just got heavier. In Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and 8, we learn that those who did not accept the message of the gospel, or those who did rather accept the message of the gospel, turned the world upside down. But those who did not accept the gospel were bitter, and they said, they are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So those who embraced the gospel were filled with joy. Those who rejected the gospel were filled with bitterness. You see, the power of forgiveness is provided by the gospel. It is freeing. It is giving us freedom from our sins. You know, one of the hardest experiences to navigate is to be able to give and to receive forgiveness. It is so hard because it deals with the idol of control. If I forgive somebody, I'm giving up control because forgiveness is always a gift. When I forgive somebody, I release control when I give it. I also release control when I receive it. You see, there's a link between giving and receiving and forgiveness. Jesus put it this way in the model prayer If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, John Piper said this of this passage. If the forgiveness that we receive at the cost of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is so ineffective in our hearts that we are bent on holding unforgiving grudges and bitterness against someone, we are not a good tree. We are not saved. We don't cherish this forgiveness. We don't trust this forgiveness. We are just hypocrites. Listen, when God has forgiven you, you will forgive others. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Paul said that the spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Paul goes into the city and he says, man, this whole city is given over to idols. So he goes to the synagogues and he preaches a famous sermon. It's called his Mars Hill Sermon. And as he's delivering this sermon, he says this, Men of Athens, he begins by acknowledging where he is, Who he's addressing, he says, You know, I perceive that you are very religious. He says, When I was passing through and I was considering all the objects of worship that you have built here in Athens, I even found that you had an altar with the inscription, To the Unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. What is Paul saying? Paul says, Listen, I came into the city of Athens. And I noticed that you had an inscription, you had a temple to the unknown God. I want you to know, I know who the unknown God is. He says, I'm coming here to tell you who this unknown God is. You don't know who he is, but I know who he is, and I'm going to proclaim him to you. And so Paul spends the rest of his sermon describing Jesus. And things are okay until he proclaimed Jesus was one day going to judge the world. And that Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, James talked about this judgment in James chapter 2. He says, judgment by God is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, we don't just receive God's forgiveness, or we will not receive God's forgiveness, rather, if we don't forgive. We don't receive mercy if we are unmerciful. Now, as we look at this sermon in Acts chapter 17, Paul concludes with three responses, and these three responses are given. Number one, some mocked, and those who mocked later on would persecute the messengers. Secondly, some said, we will hear you again on this matter. So their interest was piqued, and they said, I want to hear you again. I want to learn more about this message, but there's a third group of people. Some Joined and believed. So I pray today that you will enjoy the freedom that you found in Christ. I'm praying for you this week that you will be set free from the power of sin. Now I want you to know that faith is a muscle. And just as we develop our physical muscles through overcoming opposition by putting weights on them and and lifting and pushing heavy weights, we develop our spiritual muscles by overcoming challenges and adversity. As I think about several years ago, I received a message. And this text message went like this. Nine years ago today, I sat with you and I made the best decision of my life. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Thank you for never giving up. That text was sent to me by a man who... Why well, I would shared the gospel over and over and over again. I thought the old guy was never going to get saved. But one day he came to church and the Spirit of God got a hold of him. He says, I want to talk to you further on this subject. And I, so I went to his house. I remember I picked up the phone and I told his wife, I'm coming over Tuesday night. And she says, oh, don't come over just yet. He's not ready. He's not ready for the message of the gospel. I said, I'm coming over. Ready or not, here I come, right? And so I went over to that house, sat down with this guy opened up the Bible, shared the message of salvation with him, and he was born again. I'll never forget the date, 7707, July 7th of 2007. He was born again. And now every anniversary, he reminds me through a text message. And right now, this man is pastoring a church and uh, doing wonderful things for the cause of Christ. So listen, your faith will develop like a muscle as you go through obstacles and opposition. So listen, when trouble comes your way, don't get discouraged, don't get defeated. Thank the Lord that it's coming. It was Albert Einstein who says, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Listen, if somebody's coming against you, they got a mediocre mind. When you're doing God's work and somebody comes against you, you got that great spirit within you. Be encouraged, expect opposition to come. As we look at Acts chapter 17, the main idea is that God is using the Thessalonians to turn the world upside down. In fact, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and we see that the Thessalonian church is being established and being sent out to spread the gospel. Now, this is the same church that Paul later wrote two personal letters to. You know what they're called, 1st Thessalonians and 2nd Thessalonians. Ah, oh, but as you look at your life today. Maybe your sadness as you listen to the broadcast. Oh, can I lift up your spirits? Listen, God is going to take care of you. Don't look in the wrong focus. Realize that God is going to take care of you. You know, there's actually a Jewish prayer of happiness. It's called the Shemka, And this prayer demands attention, right? It is a path that we're to pursue. It is a choice that we are to make. This very special Jewish prayer can be summarized with these 10 commands given by Rabbi Evan Moffick. Here they are. As you pray this prayer, the beginning of the prayer says, I honor those who give me life. I honor Christ. He gave me life. I honor my mom and my dad. They brought me into this world. Secondly, you'll be happy if you keep learning. Lord, open up my heart to learn new things about You. Allow me to keep learning more good things about You through Your Word. Number three, you'll be happy as you pray and you're there for others when they have a need. You know, it's amazing how happy you can be when you start meeting the needs of somebody else. Number four, support yourself and others during times of loss. In other words, when you lose something, don't get discouraged about it. Go out and Pull yourself out and and be a blessing to somebody else. Number four, forgive. Isn't that wonderful? As we pray, Father, forgive us of our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass us, it changes me when I forgive somebody else. Number five, as you're praying, Lord, help me to be kind. Oh, our world needs some kindness, doesn't it? I discovered over the last few years with this coronavirus, it seems like people are less kind now. They seem to have lost their joy. They have lost their kindness. Here's something else you can do. Invite others into your life. Don't be an isolationist. Listen, be involved in the lives of others. I don't think I go hardly ever a Sunday without encouraging our church to be involved in a small group. Invite others into your life. Invite them to join your small group. Number eight, celebrate the good times. You know, the Bible actually tells us that we are to rejoice with those who, who are rejoicing. Celebrate the good times. Number nine, pray with intention. That is pray with urgency. Pray with that fervor. There's something about somebody who prays with urgency. I remember one time I was, as a teenager, I was actually leading a, a group of teenagers when I was a teenager uh, because we didn't have a youth pastor. So I said, well, uh, I lead the youth group. And so I would get the youth group together every Sunday. And then we did activities together. And I said, I remember one night, I said, guys, let's do something different. Let's just have a prayer meeting. We're just gonna go around and pray. And I remember one guy by the name of Peter, he prayed with such intention, uh, intentionality and such fervor we all just jumped in and started praying right with them. Listen, don't be afraid to pray with fervor. Listen, God hears our prayers and He loves to inhabit our praise. Number ten, look inside and commit. That is change what needs to be changed in your life. Don't ignore it. Don't put it away. Listen, when God speaks to you, that's the time to move. Well, I want to talk to you today and the rest of the broadcast today and into tomorrow about how you can overcome opposition, and how you can have joy in the midst of opposition. Well, number one, you have joy as you win over the opposition. Now, let me read Acts chapter 17, verses one through nine. It says that when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as it was their custom... Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. For some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order that they may bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they have come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king. One called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into a turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond, and then he let them go. So here we discover how you can win over the opposition. It is done by having some good habits in place. Number one is the habit of gracious debate. Now notice I didn't just say debate. I think we're all pretty good at debating but how many are good at graciously debating? That is winning over a person. Verse number two says, As it was their custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. In other words, they debated from the word of God. I want you to know that many debates are lost over disposition, not position. Graciously reasoning from the scripture. Let's open a book and see what it has to say. You say, well, how do I graciously debate somebody? Speaking calmly and moderately beats strong language every single time. You see, in great speeches and in great sermons, passion and tone is a blessing and an asset. In one-on-one disagreements, however, calmness and understatement wins. There was a Yale study that was done that found that the facts, when they're stated calmly, people are more inclined to change their minds than if they are stated in a form of a scare tactic. In other words, if, if you go with like threats, like you better give because if you don't want to go bankrupt, then people are less likely to give. As opposed to, listen, we have this great opportunity for you to be involved in helping us. You know, you know Ben Franklin was our, our first ambassador. And of course, he was one of the fathers of the United States Constitution He had a hard time getting many of the other delegates to the Constitutional Convention and to agree on parts of the Constitution. Nevertheless, sign it, right? Uh, So what did he do? He said this. He says, the way that we convince another is to state your case moderately and accurately. Then stay the course. You may be mistaken about it, which causes your listeners to receive what you have to say, and like it as not, turn about and convince you of it, since you are in doubt. But if you go at him in a tone of positiveness and arrogance, you only make an opponent of him. What is he saying? He says, as we get into this habit of graciously debating people, we season it with grace. That way, if we happen to be wrong about a point, we can be receiving that correction graciously. So get in the habit of debating graciously. Number two would be the habit of solid and sound doctrine. The deity and the death of Jesus Christ was proclaimed. Look what they say. They say that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They understood that Christ was to suffer, that it was to die, but it was going to rise up again. You know, Paul actually charged Titus to be one who would teach in accord with sound doctrine. Listen, sound doctrine is important because our faith is based on a specific message. The overall teaching of the church has many elements, but the primary message is very explicitly defined. And here it is found in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to know the major doctrine of the faith, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's this, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. There is nothing ambiguous about the good news. It is of first importance. As we think about sound doctrine, it is so important because the gospel is given to us as a sacred trust, and we dare not tamper With God's communication to the world. Our duty is not to redefine the gospel. Our duty is to deliver the message, not to change it. Jude conveys his urgency. The book of Jude conveys his urgency in guarding this gospel, this trust that has been given us. Jude says, I felt that I had to write you and that I had to urge you to what? To contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That word contend carries the idea of of strenuously fighting for something, to give it everything that you've got. The Bible includes a warning neither to add or to subtract from God's word. Rather than alter the apostles' doctrine, we receive what we have passed down to us, and we keep it as the pattern of sound doctrine with faith and love in Jesus Christ. So as you think about debating people, We do it graciously. Our words are seasoned with grace. We also do it with solid and sound doctrine. You see, what we believe is how we should behave. Our belief should be an extension of our theology. As you think about two people standing on top of a bridge, one believes he can fly, the other believes he cannot fly. The next actions will be quite dissimilar. In the same way, a man who believes that there is no such thing as right and wrong will naturally behave differently from the one who believes in well defined moral standards. You see, what our culture is looking for today is not a sermon on good morality, but an example of good morality. In the list of the Bible's list of sins, things like rebellion and murder and lying, uh, these are all mentioned. But in this list also comes with this caveat that we should be living our lives with sound doctrine. In other words, true to teaching promotes righteousness. Sin flourishes when sound doctrine is not lived out. As you look at a person's life when they drift from the faith, they're really not drifting from the faith. They are drifting toward immorality, and their faith is matching now what they claim to believe. Sound doctrine is important because we must ascertain the truth in this world that is filled with falsehood. This is what 1 John 4 1 says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we have many in our world today that are giving a false doctrine. Jesus himself talked about the fact that there are going to be tares among the wheat, there's going to be wolves among the flocks. So the best way to distinguish truth from falsehood is to know what the truth is. You know, for many years, I was the cash control manager of a restaurant. And we used to, back before they had a lot of credit cards being used, most people would go out to eat and would pay cash. How do we distinguish between counterfeit money and the real money? We studied the real money. And the real money would make the counterfeit stick out like a sore thumb. Now, when you think about a counterfeit bill, it's something that looks very similar to the real thing. It's close, but not close enough. To the untrained eye, it will pass by as a real bill, even though it's counterfeit. Now, for example, you're never going to see a counterfeit $4 bill. Why will you never see a counterfeit $4 bill? Because there's no such thing as a $4 bill. But you will see a good counterfeit $100 bill, or $50 bill, or $20 bill. They will take something that looks close to the truth, and the untrained eye will not catch it. You see, sound doctrine is important because... For the end of time, sound doctrine will not be embraced. Paul said to young Timothy, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Conversely, the end of unsound doctrine is destruction. Jude 1.4 says, Certain men whose condemnation was written before long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. You see, changing God's message of grace is a godless thing to do. And the condemnation for such a deed is severe. Preaching another gospel, says Paul to the Galatian believers, which is really not another gospel at all, carries on this anathema, that you will be eternally condemned. Oh, those who are listening to me today, I hope that you know that the gospel is the good news of the death, the bearer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is what we stake our life on. Sound doctrine is what we stake our testimony on. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why not today? Invite Him to be Lord of your life. Take advantage of that free gift that He's given to you. Salvation is not given to us by works. It is a gift. It's a gift that is given to us by God. Would you pray to receive Christ today? And if you need more information about how to become a follower of Christ, please give me a call at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. God bless you for listening today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.